Ron's Podcast presents Pulsar by Ron Schaefer. Forty two. The gunshot rang out across the farm. People ducked, screaming. I peered out of the window in the bus to see if I could see where he was. Coming from the barn, where else? I leave the bus and run for cover. The old lady was just stepping out, pile of wash in her hand. I tried to signal her, tried to force her down without giving myself away. No such luck. Down she went with the next shot. Screams coming from the bus behind me. Laundry scattered all over like fallen leaves. Who is he? What's this guy want? What do they ever want? I make a dash behind the pickup and draw more fire. More screams. I'm only making a bad situation worse. I wish there was something I could do. 43. Wow, like I'm so fucking amused. Yeah, you too, asshole. Oh, good comeback, guy. Like yours are such gems. Well, <sighs> at least pretend originality. Like, dirt Watto, have a brain. Oh, so I can grow up and be cool like... Thou, O oh rectal wretch. Dude, think that one up all by yourself? Better than you do it. I beg to differ, O oh sleaze bucket. No one else does it better than moi. You see what I'm saying? How can I? It's all full of barf display. Not unlike some people's brains. My thoughts exact. O oh, jock of itch. 44. Mom and Dad were waiting as I was putting together my guitar. It needed new strings, and I had this new screw gadget to go with it. Some guy at a party gig I had last week asked me where I got it, and I told him from a small town in Germany. I have no idea why I told him that. I've never been to Germany. Never been out of the country, but when you're playing a party and trying to establish a reputation, especially if the band you're in, your first, is probably going to sink, you are likely to tell people any old bullshit to make yourself look worldly and worthwhile. I did. Well, they said, my parents, waiting impatiently. We took the van, we always do on vacation, and, of course, we took the cats with us. Inside a car, they always make me sneeze, but in the van, it doesn't bother me. We drugged them till they were bombed into oblivion, and that made the trip quieter. My uncle turned banjo music on the radio, knowing it would irritate me. He always did things to irritate me, and then he'd laugh his head off. We got to a discount food mart, and I sat in the parking lot. I stuffed my mighty implements into my gig bag, which I opened while I waited. Tried to forward a simple E chord and found one of my hands wouldn't respond. I held it up 
into the light and discovered it was suddenly crippled, as if I came down with years of arthritis. What the fuck is this? I screamed in panic. We stayed in a motel room the first night. As we unloaded, two women in the room next to us were fighting over a lost tube top. Apparently the both were sharing. They left their door open and it sounded like a cat fight going on inside. Mom just huffed and looked away. I did not, but I didn't want to be caught gawking. They had me put my hand in ice and I spent most of the evening whining. Uncle turned up the weather report and said it was more entertaining than any noise I was making. I thought back to this obnoxious black guy in my high school homeroom who never let me do my homework. He had a similar way of picking on me that my uncle has. I suddenly had the urge to beat the crap out of both of them. Okay, I've had enough now, I stated, and that was that. My hand throbbed through the night and one of the cats threw up. Mom freaked out and spent an hour cleaning up the mess around three in the morning. She didn't want the maid to know we were sloppy people. We got a late start the next day, and I spent a week trying to fish with a bent hand. Uncle told me I was never going to be a musician anyhow. Musicians don't make money. So, according to him, I should see this as a blessing in disguise. The doctor said there was nothing physically wrong with my hand, and my therapist said it was all in my head. They're all a little too cozy with their answers. Me? I just wish I had one. 46. Subterranean vault. Lab with adjoining living quarters. Everything metal. Halogen bulbs glare. Sit by the racks. Wait. Smoke on my break. Don't get paid, it's volunteer. Lion shadow. Doctor swirls chemicals in a jar. The growl. It's back. Doctor runs. Jar breaks. Smoke rises. Pew. Left alone. Growl again. Stay in shadow. Shit my pants. Now I've got shit to deal with. Growl closer. It's looking. Can smell me now. Near. Growl. Hug corner. Seize me. Scream. Run. Shitty pants and all. Follows. Run faster. Grab, leap, grab. Got me. Pin me down. Scream twice. Gag. Crush. In me. Me. It. Growl. Growl. Forty-seven. Okay, so I'm on this commercial gig. We're shooting something for, I don't know. I don't remember what product. Anyway, 
I'm here playing second banana to this really famous actor, old guy. You know him. You've seen all his pictures. He's been around forever. Anyway, he's having a little trouble remembering his lines because, you know, he's how old? But he's a macho dude. Always plays all these tough guys. Doesn't want to fuck up in front of the new kids like me. Anyway, he calls for a break. I say, great, what the hell? I go for a smoke. Right. While he goes over his lines and practices holding up the bottle of whatever in the hell it is for the camera. But I'm off in the trailer getting a toot from one of the grips. Because he just went on break from hauling shit off the truck. Anyway, I call my girlfriend. We shoot the breeze. Have a quick twinkie. And I'm set. Right. So I step out ready to roll. And this bitch from the agency comes running up to me and says, Where have you been? And I say, I was just in the trailer, and she says, that's the last time I hire you. And I look up, and they're shooting the spot without me. They've got some other flunky in my place to feed Mr. Macho his fucking lines. And I'm going, what the fuck, you know? So, like, shit, what am I supposed to do now? 48. His gun jammed. All the training out the window... The bus careening, people screaming, driver helpless, brakes cut, highway crowded, crash here, scrape there, his law enforcement badge, worthless now, plain clothes, undercover crap, blown in a moment. The bright white executive with gun and briefcase saving us from tourists, only now it jams. Suddenly, windows splatter, bullets spray, driver dead. People bleed. People plead. Save us. Save us. And the gun goes off. A wrong moment. And the rest of them die. 49. The house I was at was engrossed in making costumes. This was back when I found out my favorite professor had quit teaching and ran some sort of trucking and farm equipment business because, he said, he didn't know anything about history, his subject. The costumes were for some rinky-dink masquerade we were putting on for some party. We called the place Purgatory, and I had access to the car because my dad was giving up driving. It was a big place, so we had lots of room to store crap. Nuke had a pet lizard that was three feet long and slept on the couch. He had plans for designing his own shopping mall spread out all over the floor. Oddly enough, he was not an architecture student. He just wanted to design his own shopping mall. I helped him sometimes, but what good am I? Stassi had a paper to do and was still crying from the other day when some child's mother called her at the center and said she was a shamefully inept teacher. We were still trying to install our own hot tub made of spare parts and a sump pump, but the costumes filled the tank. I was reading a book on Egypt when Nuke came in and complained about some sort of ooze leaking from his penis. The rest of us didn't want to hear. Then Jeff got the idea for a group family picture, all of us in various states of unfinished drag. So we set up the camera. 
We talked politics, and I stated that Nixon is the kind of teacher who takes your test paper away prior to your finishing the exam because he doesn't like something about you. I still don't remember where the hell I got that idea. I went back to my room and worked on my book called The Monk and the Bull. It was getting to the point where it wasn't making any sense as the rest of us were trundling off to the masquerade. I got my mask and gown and followed. In hindsight, I think we were all really weird. 50. I'm sure it was a wonderful old movie house at one time, the kind with a balcony and upper deck, all styled and adorned like Renaissance Venice, big screen up front surrounded by Greek goddesses, probably the muses, slanted floor, big upholstered seats, love seats at the aisles, showing black and white legends, Gable, Flynn, Davis, Bogey and Bacall, Tracy and Hepburn, then at its sunset, sprawling widescreen color dreams with Burton and Taylor, but that was back then. It's midnight. It's revival. It's wells. Old dreams die hard, even in this place. But who comes here except me? For a while at the start of its decay, it held only perverts watching people fuck on screen so that they, in the dark and alone, could embrace themselves secretly and pretend. The floor caked on muck for decades from spilled soda and anything else that found its way to the floor. A man-made version of a tar pit. Now it's just me and a few other cinephiles. Would-be screenwriters, dorks without dates. We come and study film and pretend it matters. We watch the plaster crack and fall, the paint peel, the threads unravel from the seats, the ceiling leak, water drip along a pipe that runs the length of the place, and puddles on the floor where rats sometimes come and take a drink. If it wasn't for us, this place would be condemned. Probably should be. Probably will be. And then even we can't save it. This place is just a carcass now, a rotting skeleton where fools like me come to dream and pay homage to our myth-making forebearers. It's cold, it's clammy, it smells, and it's our refuge. Our cathedral to the memorable, our hideout from the world. In a brief two hours, we will worship the gods of the fictional past in our decrepit atmosphere before we step out into the rain of the night and blend in with the rest of forgettable humanity. 51. First of all, I am no good with Arabs. I barely understand their culture. I would also like to say that I barely understand the desert, especially a foreign desert. But these people were so poor and they were starving, I'm sure they barely understood each other, and I was there to do a job, and right now that job required me to herd a group of them out of the path of the oncoming storm. Me, an American, telling them what to do. But they were women and children, and they were tired. And just because they live near a desert doesn't mean they know it either. And it was on the horizon and it was coming fast, and they started to panic. We were starting to lose them, and in a minute or so they would be lost, or dead. I corralled them onto the other side of the hill and had them hunker down, covering them with whatever they could find. Some cried. It was like a run-in with a giant floor sander. 
it was all any of us could do to hang on. It was loud, suffocating, and seemed to go on for hours. There were horses somewhere in the distance letting out their panicking horses squeal. A truck tried to start and couldn't. We inhaled blanket fibers and sand in a single breath. A baby's cry, normally loud enough to grab attention, was muffled by mother's hand, blanket, and wind roar. I don't speak Arabic, but I'm willing to bet those voices I heard were full of curses as well as prayers. Everyone made it through, some barely, and we were able to keep walking, with extra rest stops for water breaks. The dust is like a fist that clogs your throat, and it seems to take gallons of water to remove it. They made their destination, and I went on to mine, and I spend my nights now dreaming of crying children and sand. 52. He decided that football was not his game. He kept on dropping passes, and the kids hollered, Shit! He decided that hockey was not his game. He was not good on ice, so he decided to give up on sports and write poetry and get beat up. Life didn't give him a hell of a lot of choice. 53. I'm late. I thought of that damned white rabbit. I ran to catch my ride. No socks, one shoe, stuff flying from my crammed briefcase. I got to the hotel, had the interview, felt foolish, embarrassed, got strange looks because of my feet. Hired me anyway. I told them I was one thing and they hired me for another. Weird. They had me talk to the lawyer. Guy was real friendly. Made me play his clarinet. I don't play clarinet. I went to the hotel basement where the seminar was held. Sat and played with pencils all afternoon. Thought I'd decide later on whether or not to keep job. Got new shoes. Went to the library instead of dinner. In walked a balloon man popping balloons. Looked right at me. Lunged. I ran. He chased balloons flying. He popped halfway down the corridor just like his balloons. Balloons fizzled everywhere. I catch my breath in the men's room. My reflection in mirror is Southeast Asian. That's not the race I belong to this morning. Ran out in a panic. Found a canister. Opened it up. Inside were the plans for building a giant robot. Somebody wanted them and fired a gun at me. I ran. Found a marble temple and dropped the canister off in a vestibule. Kept going. Outside. Nobody chasing. Arrived home. Notice in mail says I've been recruited for submarine duty because of my Asian connections. I call my Japanese girlfriend, who is a flight attendant. Get me out of the country fast. She disguises me as another flight attendant and we head across the Pacific. A Korean man loses his wallet and I find it for him. He looks at me suspiciously. He thinks I'm a spy. We land at Singapore and ride a glass elevator up to my girlfriend's apartment. Mom's there giving away Dad's old things to the neighbors. I shoo them all away, and Mom says I just enjoy hurting people. I do like the feeling of power, I have to admit. 
I'm given the files on several criminals, including one serial killer we are trying to set up a sting operation to get. Back on the plane, a long flight, my girlfriend and I curl up in the back seat and wait for Chicago. Chicago appears and I'm on my own. An airship, big honking thing, docks at Sears Tower. I run up the elevator to meet the guy. He's not there, nor is my contact. Operation is a bust. I go to a baseball game. Man hands me a bag. I check on its contents in the men's room. Isotope all over my hands. I panic. I run out of the park, call a cab, head back. Make a call on a membranous phone. Show up at a wedding in shopping mall, steal some cake. Crash on couch, watching Lost in Space. Some of the show's props are in the living room. I wake up at 1 a.m. in a panic and try to figure out what's wrong with everything in my life. Eat cold pizza, drink bourbon, go to bed. Start another day. Same old shit. 54. We got to play zombie and invade other people's yards. Gretchen was the one who always got herself into trouble because she was so damn slow. Lunch hours at school were often more than a little boring because I was usually restless and not very hungry. I took my cat out for a cruise on my bike. The cat never liked it, but I did. That was back when we were living in New Mexico. We'd head out on vacation and rent a cabin somewhere, and I'd sit and watch old movies while everybody else went about looking at stuff. I'd make up my own games and have my cat play some of the other roles. I see myself now as an extension of that time period and begin to wonder, have I made the most of my time here? Did I do so back then? Has it taught me anything, this extension of my childhood in adult garb? Aren't I still playing zombie, watching TV, and giving roles to others while I sit back and make up a bunch of games that I've chosen for myself to play all alone? Fifty-five. Devil worshipper, turned devotee. Jesus on his sleeve. You are all Satanists, he cries, and blesses us in the hopes that things will get better. And they do in a sense. He stops talking. Fifty-six. What part of your body would you be willing to slice off in order to save yourself? Think twice. It could happen. Well, here are a bunch of people around us willing to do that for you. To you. 57. Marvin gets two others at higher prices in order to examine a third. Fifty-eight. Thing is, you gotta watch what you say to these jerks. Like they ain't got shit on ya, lest they think they know something. And they don't, so piss on them. We caught Sammy that way. We had a phony setup. I was to make this call, and we hit him. I tell him, I need money. I says, Sammy, I need money. Thing is, I really didn't need money. But I ain't telling no Sammy that. But I'm on the phone. I says, hey, Sammy, I need money. Fuck you, he says, and hangs up. 
to come square things with me, right? That's when we got them, but I still needs money. So as I talk to Daniela, but she ain't got no money, so she takes me for a ride, literally. We's driving all around town, but she drives like shit, you know? And there's lots of fucking assholes yelling at us because of Daniela. So meantime, the others, they got Sammy. Well, we stops in at Daniela's man's club, right? We finally got off fucking freeway and land at this club. So she says, just a minute, and excuses herself to the back room where her lay is waiting. Meanwhile, I'm out front helping the band to move in. These fuckers are all weirdos, right? So I open doors for them all and shit, but then I tell them to piss off. So then Daniela comes out, gives me the money, tells me to hightail it because her man's in some sort of foul mood. So this shithead comes out and tries to waste me for talking to Daniela. I don't know why. There's nothing going on between her and me. Don't get me wrong. Danielle's a nice piece of ass, but she's not my type. I just need the money. Anyway, he starts waving a rod in the air because he's some big shot with his own place. So I'm not going to take this shit from this asshole. So I plug him and get him out of my face. Well, Danielle goes all to pieces because she still loves this asshole. And now she decides to take it out on Meek and starts making a big stink. So now I'm stuck plugging her just to shut her up for a while. Look, I'm sorry about it, too. I mean, I like Daniela and all, but what are you supposed to do with a screaming bitch on your hands? Anyway, so, like, now it seems word got out somehow about me. So now I got Sammy's crew and these fuckers from the club out looking for me. So I'm wondering, can you put me up for tonight, at least till this shit blows over? Hell, I got money now, if you need it. I don't expect something for nothing. Oh, and by the way, got any beer? Fifty-nine. It was just a thing. I didn't think much about it, but then people began to talk, and that bothered me. Even my mother talked. She told Aunt Gracie and the nurses. All right, so it's odd. Big deal. I bet lots of people have done it at one time or another, or would like to. I go to people's closets, coat check rooms, Wherever I can find them, a strange pair of pants, and masturbate on them. I can't explain it. It's just something I do. Like you don't have any kind of hobbies. Still, I understand people get upset. I tried not to ever get caught, but that's not always possible. I'm in a hospital now. People take very good care of me. I've developed an interest in orderlies' uniforms and in the smell of various forms of cleaning agents. I think I'm getting better, but nobody talks to me. 60. Night. And I'm walking through the graveyard. First one, then another. Heads pop up, crying for help. Sprouting like instant flowers. Popping pain from their mouths like pez. I keep going. There's no sense getting lost among the cries here. I can always find another route home. 61. It's just the shits trying to rent a decent porno movie and the clerk gives you a hassle because he's such a rude, stupid jerk. Even though you've got the money, even though you wave it in front of his face, even though you've been a good customer, even though you promise not to wreck it, 
You have been listening to Pulsar, a book of poems by Ron Schaefer on Ron's podcast. You can find out more by going to our website at solarwindmedia.com. Thank you.